BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ben, are you finally ready? Oh, uh, yeah, I took my sweater off. Oh, thank God. <laughs> thank God. <laughs> Science is back, baby. I've heard that one a few times, huh, D? Thank God. Science is back, baby. It doesn't she say baby in the earth? Oh, that make that? Thank God. Science is back, baby. <laughs> I've been conditioned, D. I've been conditioned. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, November 30th. Is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink. They talk about pot. Oh, and so much more, including columns from our very own former pot smoker. <laughs> but still pretends that he does it all the time. It's weird. Ben Jarofsky, Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can, ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. Oh, thank God. It is Wednesday, November 30th, and this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this show Horse Wednesday. (laughs) And here's why. Pretty funny story in today's uh, bright one uh, about a a new pack. I guess it's I don't know if it's a new pack, but uh, an organization that's coming together to finance campaign. Is that a pack? I don't know. There's probably some legalistic difference between an expenditure committee and a PAC that who knows what it is. Anyway, this group of business leaders in Chicago, according to the bright one, uh, are um, coming together to destroy lefties. Well, they don't quite put it that way, but they sort of let you know that's where they're coming from. You know, so it's a political operative named Michael Rumler. I don't know his name. Uh, He's filing paperwork uh, to form an independent expenditure committee and it'll be bankrolled by business leaders to help elect moderate alder persons, moderate alder persons. Or as uh, Rumler put it to uh, Fran Spielman in the article, uh, workhorses, not show horses. This is hilarious, man. I'm like, isn't it kind of an insult? You're like calling the people are going to support horses. I mean, I don't know. Hey, here, have a carrot. Hey, I'm a horse. 
Hey, hey, Rumbler, do these horses talk to you? Is it like a Mr. Ed thing going on there? I talk to the horses. Rumbler is now the horse whisperer for moderates. He gets up close and he whispers in their ear. Please do whatever I want. We love Rum. Let's close more schools. Let's close mental health clinics. Somehow or other. Uh, in the mind of this dude who I don't know, never met, uh, but he used to work for Rom. So that tells you something about him. He was Rom's campaign manager. So, uh, this is like a Rom Democrat, but somehow or other in his mind, in his mind, alder people who like put progressive ideas out there that would help poor people and working people, and just like ordinary citizens who aren't freaking rich, alder people who do that are show horses. But people who block such legislation and promote legislation that helps rich people are workhorses. It's like a workhorse is good and a show horse is bad. I just... It's like this Chicago's got this mentality. I just roll up my sleeves and do my work. I'm a worker. <laughs> As opposed to what? You know what? Like, like who I, in Chicago is a showman? It's a pretty interesting little take. Like the people who do the bidding for the wealthiest people in town are somehow virtuous. This is in the world of this guy Rumler and Mayor Rom. And apparently the Sun-Times, I don't know. But the people who do the do the work for poor people are wasting your time. But people who do the bidding of rich people are virtuous. They're hardworking. <laughs> and to cite them, they, they bring out Nick Spazzato in this story. Now, Nick, old friend, I got to admit, old friend, has moved way, way, way to the right. Nick Spazzato has moved way, way, way to the right. But according to the Sun-Times... And Mike Rumler, Nick Spazzato is the kind of alderman that we need more of. He's a workhorse as opposed to a show horse. One more time. These are not my words. I'm just saying what old boy said, Mike Rumler, to the Sun-Times, they're going to have a, a new pack or a expenditure committee that's going to finance the campaigns of aldermen who are workhorses, not show horses. So show horses, again, are aldermen who care about poor people. Workhorses, by their definition, are aldermen who do whatever they're told by the wealthiest people in town. It's kind of an interesting way of looking at things. You know what I'm saying? And it's funny because uh, in the article, Fran Spiegel takes a little historical view of Mayor Rahm's PACs or expenditure committees, whatever they call them, and notes that in 2015 there was a similar uh, Rahm PAC uh, and they went hard against, get this, Scott Wagesback. Apparently, in 2015, when Scott Wagesback dared to oppose Mayor Rahm on a few initiatives, he was a show horse and therefore had to be tamed. No carrots and oats for you, Scott Wagesback. Uh, he has become Mayor Lori Lightfoot's finance committee chair. So as such, he's part of the establishment. So I'm wondering, does this now make him a workhorse? Is he no longer a show horse? Will they give him oats and carrots? 
He has no opposition, so he really doesn't need any oats or carrots. By the way, the other alderman that uh, Mayor Rahm fought so hard to defeat in 2015 was Johnny Arena. Eventually, he lost in 2019 to Jim Gardner. Nobody likes Jim Gardner anymore. So I need to know, Mayor Rahm and Mike Rumler, whoever you are, is Jim Gardner a show horse or a workhorse? Are you going to be feeding him oats and carrots? Or are you going to be feeding oats and carrots to his opposition? Need to know. All right? Somehow or other, in the city of Chicago, workhorses are good. Show horses are bad. And I'll tell you right now, I can guarantee you, any alderman in the city of Chicago who has dared to, what, stand up for poor people will be on the list of candidates to defeat by this new pack. Guarantee you, Danny LaSpada in the first ward, Rosanna Rodriguez in the 33rd Ward, JT, Jeanette Taylor in the 20th Ward. I have a feeling that these are just three of the older people that this new pack or whatever it is will be going after because they want workhorses, not show horses. I think what they really want are lap dogs. Come here. Nay. Give me a carrot. That's how Chicago likes its alderman, very obedient. All right, my guest sitting by, waiting to come on. She's not obedient. She speaks her mind, always has, always will. <laughs> She's already laughing. Stacey Davis-Gates, welcome back to the show, Stacey hey, Davis-Gates. I thought I had pissed someone off. I hadn't, you know, been able to talk to you for a while. And, so I, uh, and I am so glad that you affirm my reading of the Chicago sometimes because <laughs> that's exactly I mean I was just like so of all the aldermen you put someone who is camped out on uh, Fox News who has made just the entire discussion around Angela Young yeah I don't know are people thinking about this is there real strategy happening with how groups are characterizing aldermen, government, the mayor's race? Is there real engagement with voters and what people need or just the manipulation of, you know, millions of dollars on television? You know, this is, I don't know, this is going to be an interesting season. It's already an interesting season. Well, we, we, we're going to take a, a deep dive in the mayor's race and the automatic races, uh, Stacey. And if I have you, I we got to close with a little uh, Georgia talk because there's a Senate runoff uh, in Georgia that I'd love to get your thoughts on. I'm sure you got some great thoughts about it, Herschel Walker versus Raphael Warnock. But just going back to it, um, there's a bias in this town. And this is me speaking, not Stacey Davis-Gates. There is a bias in this town from the media, and I've been following the media for a long, long time, against lefties. And that's just a fact. Uh, Lefties are viewed as impediments to quote-unquote progress in the city of Chicago. Uh, And so they're viewed as an impediment to economic development. And that is so obvious to me, Stacey, since the moment I moved to Chicago in 1981. And every time there's a, a significant powerful lefty voice in this city, the mainstream media turns and attacks. And then when they pass, they love. And you know, this is one of my favorite topics when it comes to Karen Lewis and Harold Washington. 
And you know, if you leave Chicago, Stacey, I'm not, just let's say you move, okay? You're young, so you don't have to worry about the other thing. But let's just say you move. Then they'll be like, Stacey Davis Gates, what a fighter she was. She <laughs> really fought hard. We will miss her. <laughs> they'll be so happy you're out of town. Well, you know, honestly, so I'm a teacher um, and I'm a mother. You know, the thing that has most prepared me for like all of these moments are, is, is really and truly being a teacher and motherhood. Um, because the, you're managing all of these different expectations, personalities, and it's just nonstop. <laughs> but here's the thing, like, so the media is a constituency, um, labor is a constituency, you know, you have all these different, your own members, um, you have all these different constituencies in the city. One of the things that, you know, I am really thinking about after reading that article and, you know, it just takes me back to college. It is a Hobbs and Locke, maybe even Rousseau. They talk about, um, I'm, I'm not remembering well, pardon me, I haven't been in the classroom for a while. But they talk about this concept or this theory of a social contract that even with all of the strata that is endemic in, you know, capitalism and in our society, that there still has to be an agreement, like a social contract, that it works for everyone, that no one is struggling, mm -hmm. right? Now, we've seen it manifest in some spaces better than others, right? Um, I'm not saying it's a perfect science. It, it lives in theory. It lives in experimentation. And if we're talking about a social contract where, you know, the greatest concentration of wealth has happened at the same time, um, those at the bottom of any strata are suffering tremendously, we have right now. So... This concept that business interests have been ignored is, is laughable to me. Yeah. And the fact that we don't have a class of folks who are actively saying out loud, our social contract is broken. And we are dealing with the impact of that with respect to COVID and everything it exposed, especially for women who work. My members are women who work. And when school wasn't in person in a building, other women who work lost their childcare. So instead of talking about the lack of affordable childcare for women who work, we talked about schools and teachers unions. We still haven't dealt with what women need who are also mothers, right? And so the social contract is not just broken. We're not saying it out loud and pointing to what the real issues are. Um, so this article to me only underscores the necessity of a stronger civics education for our students. Do, do young people even expect a social contract? Um, I'm skeptical that voters in Chicago believe that a social contract is even possible. 
right? We've begun, after you close 50 schools in a city, it's not clear to me people can even believe in government anymore, especially those who had the schools closed on them. Um, so our society is in a tailspin, as evidenced by um, all of the headlines we're reading and all of what's happening. People are seeing this large mayoral field as an impediment to getting a mayor. And I keep thinking about the democracy of it all, but the fact that you have this many people saying something, it means that people's needs are not being met. It means that those who are already in power may be doing some good things and it ain't enough. Yeah. And so we have to begin to think about what is undergirding this moment. And quite frankly, what's our responsibility in this moment? Um, because all of us have one. You know, I don't want us to have a Warnock-Walker situation in Chicago. You look at the results of the Workers' Rights Amendment, Black people, Black voters in Chicago, Black workers ostensibly, Right. Black workers who live next door to other voters, who live in households with other voters, who are connected to other voters. I keep telling people that Chicago Teachers Union gets respect, especially in spaces where Black folks are located, because of our engagement, not because of anything else, because we talk and engage and outline and we're directive. I think that I think that I'm concerned, very concerned about this idea of a social contract. The macro of it, we could talk about Herschel Walker, Donald Trump. Um, we could talk about the micro of it. <laughs> Are we even going to get fifty percent of eligible voters to the polls in February? No. No. I don't. We, I don't think we got them last time. I have to double check. Uh, turnout. There's okay. Get to your point about the social contact in, contract in Chicago. Uh, they think a social contract is something they put on you. You know, put out on you. You know what I'm saying? Like a contract. Like they hit you over the head with a social contract. Nobody believes in a social contract. There's so much. There's such a jaded attitude in the city of Chicago, uh, Stacy. That's been fed by like how many years has it been? Forty years. Oh, no, not quite. 30 years of watching uh, the city go in a direction against you. It turnout continues to fall. Uh, when candidates run for office, just getting on the ballot, we had Angela Clay on the show last week. We got off on a whole riff about how they went after her. Uh, we tried to get on the ballot last time around. I'm pretty much a, a libertarian on ballot access. You want to run, run. And uh, let's see what happens. Uh, a lot of people disagree with me on that one. But, no, it's just I do not believe uh, we, we will get to 50%. I believe there's a, a contingent of Chicagoans, and you or I are obviously in this group, that uh, care very greatly or furiously uh, involved uh, in uh, mayoral politics, automatic politics. But I believe that. I would say most Chicagoans aren't paying attention. 
They don't. They've long since given up hope that Chicago government works for them. Uh, they've long since gotten used to politicians saying one thing and doing something else. We saw it with the CHA recent votes about selling off CHA land, which is such a. You talk about contracts, Stacey Davis Gates. There were literal contracts that the CHA made with the people who used to live in those CHA projects that there would be housing. <laughs> for them when they got when they were uh once they were done demolishing the high-rises guess what they ripped up those contracts and signed a new deal with the owner of the chicago fire so there is no social contract well so that's that's my point though that's why you hear a labor union that's why you see a labor hear a labor union saying out loud hold on wait a minute we're public educators who live in the city of Chicago, um, the social contract, while is important for me and my family, is also important for the students I serve and their families as well, because they're my neighbors, um, because they're in, we are sharing the same school community, right? We're members of the same communities. Mm-hmm. I think you also, I, I am, I'm, I am concerned. You can't get teachers, pre-service teachers, to raise their hand to go into the profession. It costs a lot of money to go to college. Yeah. And starting off as a teacher is not that lucrative anywhere in this world. Mm. Right? So you start there. So you're competing with every industry known to man. And it they have this conversation about black teachers and wanting more black teachers. Well, black teachers are carrying a lot of debt when they graduate or black college educated individuals are carrying a lot of debt when they leave. So why would they sign up to be an educator and continue to carry the debt into, you know, and still be like almost 46 years old with that? Like, I'm, you know, I might know something like that. Um, it's, it's, it's a lot to ask. We need, we actually need a reset in order to get a hold of what's going on. We're going to need a reset. Look, um, our union is getting every day a notice about a member in a school community who has had a child die violently in the city. And it's, it's, we're over capacity in terms of how we're handling that because we haven't handled a lot of these before. So that that is growing, which means that that opens up a demand for our union because now the people who work in the school communities have a need. There's no infrastructure there. So connect that back to the article that you were riffing off of. Who do you want in city council? And why do you want them there? What is it tethered to and connected to? Because my members would say that decisions that are being made both in um, on LaSalle Street and in Springfield have direct impact, not just as residents of Chicago, as parents in Chicago, as homeowners in Chicago, also as workers in Chicago. So even if they're not regulated to red line neighborhoods that don't have fill in the blank, they are impacted by neighborhoods that have been realigned and don't have. And so, of course, teachers 
are going to say there is there are dimensions to what we need. It isn't just one thing. And 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 I don't know how closely that story will ever be followed. And that is the blind spot because if we're just treating this as a horse race, we're missing why people are participating, people like Angela Clay, right? 46 war black woman um, who wants to serve and who sees people. You see people like Brandon Johnson, people an individual who wants to serve that sees people, right? Returning people like Jeanette Taylor, who can say out loud, yeah, man, I am a demonstrated warrior for our city and our city's residents, and I need more help here. Would you say that Jeanette Taylor, a hunger striker, a former member of the local school council, a mother who sends her children to public schools, um, a, a, a woman who's born and raised in the city, what did they term that type of alderman? You should call, they her- call them a, uh, well, they call them a, a show horse. I would call her a queen. I would say Jeanette is exactly the type of person that educators show to their students on the South side and the West side of who you can become. You can be a teen mother you can struggle, you can come as a first generation, you can do, you can become an organizer, you can have leadership and agency and save your local high school by going on a hunger strike. You can be a hero. You can be a leader. So that's not a show horse. That's actually a person who is going to build community and legacy. Yeah. Uh, no, no, I don't think even the worst of them are horses. Okay. I just think my, my recommendation just as for starters to the business community, if you want uh, aldermen who do whatever you tell you, just don't call them horses. All right. Come up with a different metaphor. Well, no, because he's telling, they're telling you how they're thinking about this. Yes, they are. Yes. So if, the, if, if Jeanette doesn't win, right. If they're able to like successfully take someone like Jeanette off, that is going to impact a community and people in a community. And here's the thing. If Jeanette wins, that is going to impact that community and people in a community. I would say winning positively, but the individuals who are pouring money into this, how does this impact them on a very micro level? Is this just a horse race to them? See, I'm offended by that. I am offended by that. 70% of Chicago public school students travel outside of their neighborhood to go to a school and on average 90 um, minutes to two hours. 14-year-olds, 70% of Chicago public school students travel outside of their neighborhoods to a high school. You have a handful and a half um, or two handfuls worth of selective enrollment schools that every eighth grade student in this city is trying to get into. No, I am offended by that statement. And everyone in this city who needs the city to do more for it should be offended by it. Like the city has to be a partner and, and all of the people in the city have to figure out 
social contract and partnership. I'm not asking them to be ideologically aligned. Yeah. I'm not even asking them to like each other. I am asking them to see the utility of saying that people deserve and this city only works when people have. All right, let's move on to some of the specifics, uh, the mayor's race. Uh, there are a lot of nervous Nellies out there. I got this horse thing on my mind. Uh, and I was at the top of the list uh, that was urging my beloved Chicago Teachers Union uh, to back off in this race and play the role of the kingmaker uh, and play the role of the person who sits like on the sidelines of the other candidates coming to race and then you decide who you're going to support. Uh, you guys, uh, you guys went in a different direction. Not the first time you didn't, <laughs> not the first time nor the last time. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the decision uh, to launch Brandon Johnson's campaign. He was on the show a couple of weeks ago. Are you ready to check out? You can hear uh, candidate Johnson himself, Cook County Commissioner. Yeah, y'all said that. something like difficult about sports that I can't even remember now. Um, I, it'll come back to me, but keep going. Wait, what'd you just say? What, what? said something about sports on there. I remember that interview. I'm just trying to go back to the specific it was some. I think it was Vince Carter. If I, my memory is correctly, we were talking about. See, I met Brandon way back when. Way, I think before even, even you met him, he was working at the New City right. Y. Right. And there was right. a coach, a basketball coach in New City Y, Vince Carter. Shout out Vince. And I mentioned him. And uh, anyway, then there was a reference to the Vince Carter. Who, eh, okay, enough on that. Uh, so, but that I think, because I think you texted me about Vince Carter. Anyway, um, so uh, why explain your decision uh, and Brandon's decision uh, to uh, run a candidacy supported by CTU as opposed to playing that kingmaker role. Go ahead. I don't understand a kingmaker role, so perhaps we should talk more about that. I think that the conventional wisdom of white men who get to choose who they want to represent them doesn't work for a union of women who are still struggling to codify their ability to date outside their race and marry them, who are still struggling to codify their ability to make medical decisions for their bodies. People make a lot of assumptions about who gets to play kingmaker? The very name, you say king. That's a masculine um, noun, right? <laughs> you know what? That's that's what you call, ladies and gentlemen, touche. Uh, all right. Uh, so so wait, wait, decision like, maker. How about decision maker? Well, but no, it's not a decision maker. Think about what women get to do to make decisions in their households and our society, how decisions that we get to make are always under attack and how if we allow the table to be set for us, it may not even be a place setting there for us. How about we're supposed to only set the table and get the hell out and finish making the dinner? Like, so there are a lot of assumptions about what our ability is in a patriarchal society who still says that we don't have a right to make medical decisions about our body. Our union is a union of women. And so perspective is necessary in making these decisions. Know thyself, we're women. And our union is under attack. What we do, our voice and our leadership is under attack because women are always under attack. 
In the workplace, women are not paid equitably or equally. You don't see women in a lot of leadership. Look at labor. And, and, and we're the workforce, right? Um, so to even make a decision to wait on someone else to tell us who we get to select means that what we need is already secondary. So you have a cast of people who have not even considered you in the initial because someone else had the rubric, someone else said, okay, and then you go in behind them and figure out what you can make work for yourself. No, this is about having agency. This is about moving in the world as equitably as we can as individuals. You know, it, it, it takes us a long time. Again, Ben, I can't say this enough. Women are not making medical decisions legally. Legally. So, no, there's no such thing as a kingmaker for a union full of women. And so I think people need to, to understand what that means. And if we understand what that means, then you can understand how we as women have to clarify, have to delineate, have to underscore and highlight our needs from day one. All right. Uh, so then my follow-up question is, why not you? Why not me? Yeah. Um, I like my job. I mean, it, it kind of is that simple, Ben. Um, I, it, it's two things. One, I like my job. And I think the second thing is, is that Brandon Johnson will be the best mayor that Chicago has ever encountered. Um, he's a human being with empathy and with intelligence and the ability to work in coalition with people that he may not even agree with, but will find their humanity and, and, and prioritize that in order to come to conclusions that embody what 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 Hobbes and Rousseau and Locke talked about a social contract, right? It's not, this whole concept. People, like the communications team is mad at me around here because every time I read copy with the word "win" in it, I'm going, "This is not a win. This is a requirement, right? You can't win money for special ed." Money for special education is a requirement. We also have to stop being complicit in, in, in calling something that should already be more than what it is. Because I think that indicts the system in ways in which it needs to be exposed and dealt with. Um, so I, I think that's what it is. Number one, we are a union of women. Number two, the privatization effort um, almost destroyed this union. You know, if we don't get um, Karen Lewis's leadership, and it was rocky in 2010, and it was rocky in 2011, that Phoenix, you know, we saw the Phoenix in 2012. And even then, heck, that was just to save it. That wasn't, that was just pure survival. So we've been surviving for a while. And now we have this new terrain in Chicago a very brand new terrain and people are bumping into each other, walking around in circles, um, it, just doing a lot of weird stuff, you know, to be honest with you. We are a labor union. We are a labor union of women. 
who live in the city, who are raising their families in the city, who work in the city, who are invested in the city. And um, it's about them and their connectedness to Chicago. It's about their voice. And um, that's what we're going to amplify here. You said people are bumping into each other and walking around in circles. What did you mean by that? Well, who's telling them what to do anymore? You know, Chicago, look, I taught Chicago history. You And you write about it. Quit playing. You know what I'm talking about. Who's telling people what to do? Who's the, quote, king of the hill anymore? You know how this stuff works here. Someone tells someone what to do because they sent, their, sent them to do that. Here we are in a space. Who's sending anyone anymore? Who's doing anything anymore? Who's the person doing the dispatching? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, well, that, in terms of Jesus Chewy Garcia, uh, Congressman Garcia, who got into the race relatively late, uh, the, one of the first names that he invoked was Karen. Hey, I'm not talking about that. You know how I feel about Karen's name. I, you know, the only person I talk about Karen with respect to why I get to be here. I don't talk about her with respect to how I prop myself up. I get here because she, she pulled me with her. That's how we get to talk about Karen. We get to just say thank you for being a leader that we needed, that Chicago needed. And we get to revere her like that. We don't get to use her name and use it as a cudgel against the union that she rescued. We we don't get, there are some things that we get to like, yeah, I don't, because I don't have anything good to say about that. I don't. I love Karen Lewis. I get here because of Karen Lewis. A lot of us get here because of Karen Lewis. We say thank you. And we we remember her in the most appropriate of ways, not as cudgels. You know, Lori Lightfoot tried to use Karen that way. Um, she um, she want she wanted uh, Karen's partnership and camaraderie, and Karen said, "You can have it with my union, with my union." So that's and I know that. So when Karen looked at power in the face, she never left her union. It was and. It was never me, I. It was never the singular pronoun. It was always the plural pronoun. And so you can't use her name in the singular. You have to use it with her union because that's how she did it. Absolutely. Uh, Karen Lewis the great Karen Lewis wanted to, uh, was going to run for mayor uh, in 2000, uh, just so everybody knows, is 2015, and she got sick. Uh, and it was after she got sick uh, that Jesus Chewy Garcia uh, was pushed into the role to be the quote-unquote progressive in the race. So that was the dynamic that went down in 2015. And uh, to this day, I say uh, Karen Lewis would have been victorious, Stacey Davis-Gates, uh, in 2015. I have no doubt in my mind. I still remember the strategy she was pursuing, but that's ancient history uh, of I guess. So we'll just have to move on from that one. Um, all right. Uh, so I presume before we move to the automatic races, you view this the way I do. Maybe you don't, uh, that there will be a runoff. And so that I mean, I'm not a math teacher. 
I'll have you know that I passed freshman algebra. Okay, so I'm a math genius. I know you got to get more. I took it twice, once in eighth grade and once in ninth grade. You took algebra twice. You liked it so much, you took it again. I don't know uh, if I liked it. Yeah, I took it in ninth grade. I got a gentleman C. That's what they call a gentleman. We'll get rid of you. Just move on. All right. God bless that uh, teacher at Evanston High School. They pushed me out. They go, we're tired of looking at you. Um, so I presume that there will be a runoff. Uh, are you prepared to go the two? You know, you're ready for a, a two-part race? Uh, is there a different strategy that you follow for the first round as opposed to the second? Talk as much as you can about this. You win. <laughs> you win. And um, unique um, engagement, connection, resources, human and financial to win. You just win, Ben. You go and get the votes. You go and convince people that you have the right vision. And um, I'm confident that Brandon is going um, to be a part. Look, when people have an interaction and engagement with him, they are, um, they like him. Um, And that's a part of it. And then from life, you allow yourself to see if you can trust and then you want someone to have your vote that you can trust to carry through on what they said they were going to do. Um, see, that's what I think is wrong with the current discourse. So everybody going to sit up and talk about Lori um, is, has a bad attitude. Well, read all of my report cards from elementary, middle school, and high school, and you might read the same thing. As teachers... We know it's not just about the disposition. The disposition is a part of it. But did they master the assignments? Um, What mastery, what type of mastery did they demonstrate while doing the assignment? Do they work well with others? Is there room for improvement and where does it lie? See, our evaluation at Chicago Teachers Union Having a, quote, bad attitude is a very small part of that. Um, People want to see the promises materialized that were made in campaigns. We had to fight for an elected school board because she changed her mind. We had to fight for our bargaining rights because she changed her mind. We had to fight for face coverings because she changed her mind. We had to fight, fight, fight because she changed her mind on leading a school district of human beings who needed, you know, a tremendous amount of empathy, leadership, and compassion during the pandemic. That wasn't there, and so people were forced to fight. That being said, it can't just be about a person's attitude. It has to be about their ability to get the work done. And so let's talk about the work. Who's done the work? Who have they done the work with? And who has that work impacted? And how has it impacted Chicago for the better? Talk to us about that. Who had anything to say about Hillco blowing up in the middle of a pandemic in a community that has already suffers from its fair share of environmental, you know, injustice? Um, talk to me about like transporting a shredder from one side of town. Like that in itself was just a bad idea. And people had to go on a hunger strike to make you, like, make the right decision. And then even after you made the right decision, you decide to fire two high school teachers for, you know, advocating with the families they work with in that community. Think about that for a second. 
I don't have to talk about a bad attitude. In fact, a bad attitude dwarfs in comparison to all of what I just said out loud. Those are actual decisions that have been made by leader, a leader, a mayor in this city that failed people in a very destructive manner. That's a problem, Ben, that goes beyond a bad attitude. That hurts. Yeah, and uh, people who are out listening to this who are in Chicago, uh, what Stacy's alluding to, General Iron, metal crushing plant was on the north side of Chicago for many, many years. Uh, the city uh, proposed to move it to the far southeast side of Chicago uh, in a more working class neighborhood from a uh, well-to-do neighborhood. They wanted to clear up that well-to-do neighborhood for development. Let's just put the whole thing in context, uh, which they were subsidizing the development as well or probably going to subsidize the development as well. Uh, or at least across the river from a huge uh, publicly subsidized upscale development. So these are uh, decisions that were made. Uh, and then Blair Lifer tried to reverse herself on that one uh, when, when the, the community went up in arms. All right, uh, moving to the automatic races. I can't wait. I was having a conversation on this show, Stacey, and I just apologize. I cannot remember who the guest was uh, that said, you know, um, Oh, it was Miles Conflassen. That's who it was. Miles Conflassen in these times, uh, a lefty writer, good friend of the show. And we were talking uh, Chicago politics. We, we moved from national to Chicago. And Miles said, you know, uh, I think that a lot of leftist uh, activists in the city should look to the city council, not just look at the, the mayor's race, but also look at the city council, because this is a changing, uh, d- there's a changing dynamic uh, in Chicago, in terms of the legislature, le- legislative branch and the executive branch, in, in terms of the city council and the mayor, and it's a time if if you elect enough uh, social democrats or lefties, what have you, in the city council, they can set the agenda. I think that's what Mayor Rahm's cronies are worried about, actually. Uh, so why don't you uh, re, uh, respond to uh, Miles' uh, thoughts about that changing dynamic between the city council and the mayor and the potential? But uh, it hasn't changed. You know, look, here's the thing. Yes, and. So, yes, there is a changing dynamic and the question that I'm trying to answer, is that enough? I'm going to submit that it isn't enough because even, even when you have a changing dynamic on the council like that, there is a culture that aldermen are acculturated into that makes it tough to be in dissent because what did they say? You, you become a show horse? Yeah, you're a show horse. Here, you become a show horse. No oats for you. Go ahead. Right, right. I think it's a both and. I think it's a both and. Um, when this happens, I think the both and is that you need a changing dynamic on the city council that's actually going to spend some time legislating, and and you need strong leadership on the fifth floor. Look, this city is in trouble. I, I live on the south side of Chicago. There was a murder to the south of me and to the north of me, just right in the middle of it, in less than a week. Both guns. I am raising children in this city. I told you 70% of high school students travel at least 
at least an hour outside of their neighborhood to attend high school. That ain't, her bad attitude ain't impacting me. Her policy decisions are impacting me. I don't want to talk about bad attitudes. I actually need to talk about high schools that are fully resourced in black communities because they're not. Black high school students do not have a neighborhood anchor. Find one. And I'm not talking about places that offer classes. I'm talking about high school where there's homecoming and prom, where there's newspaper and yearbook, where there's athletics, competitive and intramural, right? Fine arts, concerts and productions. See, I want something real. I don't want to talk about her being mean. We didn't already talked about that. We've talked about that. Now talk about what you need and who is going to deliver your needs. And not for those who don't live here. Those who live here, who have to live in the neighborhoods that they live in because they can afford those neighborhoods. Not the, the discussions, let's raise our vibration. I, I think that's what people would say. Is that cool? Yeah, that's very cool. Uh, and I love how you put the intramurals in there. That's my thing. You know, it's a weird thing to be fixated on, Stacey. But I actually talked about this with Brandon when he was on the show. Because mm. uh, I, I I do believe that uh, schools should be uh, early, early morning and until uh, 6 o'clock. And, uh, they shouldn't close, Ben. They should only close when it's time to clean it up and get it prepared for the next day. The overnight, you know, uh, maintenance crew or whatever. I I am clear about one thing. We don't do school well in the city. We do places where they offer, you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic. I'm going to go to a school in a moment. I'm going to leave you in just a moment and drive okay. to the south side for a school meeting at at a high school that should be at the top of everyone's list. And because there are not enough grownups in the school, because people are not choosing to be educators, right? Um, because resources have not been centered there to give them what they need. I'm not saying what they want. I'm saying what they need. This is a high school that suffered the loss of multiple students to gun violence last year. Right. So you have these sustained needs in the school community and the educators are tearing their hair out, trying to figure out what thing can they focus on the fix? Because it feels like it's so many things there to fix and they don't have the agency to do it. But that's their every day. They spend more time at work during Monday through Friday than they do at home. Yeah. So, so they're not going to talk about Lori's bad attitude. They're going to talk about Lori's policy choices. They're going to talk about um, other candidates who have not shown up for them. They're going to talk about a whole bunch of things that they need as residents, parents, homeowners, workers. They're not going to talk about attitudes, though. Uh, okay. You've hit this riff three times. I'm going to finally respond before we move to Chicago because I know you got to go and we close it with uh, Georgia. I have to say, I hear what you're saying about bad attitudes, but I am saying this to you. I am so sick and tired of bully mayors. We've had three in a row. That ain't a bad attitude, though. That is an intimidation tactic. 
And so people are conflating attitude with an intimidation tactic. An intimidation tactic, that's violent. Is That's violent. That's not a bad attitude, right? That's intimidation. That is if you don't go my way, you're going to hurt me. You're going to take something from me. That's not a bad attitude. You're, inti- you're trying to intimidate me. You're trying to um, silence me. That's violence. That's that's right. And to me, I always I talk about retaliation attitude in Chicago and I go, well, it's embedded in our mainstream politics. I don't know why we're surprised uh, that it's throughout the city as well. So um, I'm really sick and tired of it. And I always go back to the great Harold Washington. Uh, He just didn't he didn't go that way. He had a whole different style. Maybe I guess Mayor Sawyer, uh, who was uh, the last mayor we had, was not um, just like that overtly intimidating and sort of seem to thrive on it. So it's, that's a long, that's a long, long time. Uh, Stacy Davis, that Stacy, that was before you were in high school. That's how far back we have to go before she wasn't even playing high school basketball yet. The point yeah, guard. Uh, all right. I know you got to go, but let's close. I got to get your thoughts on Georgia in the old days. Stacy would come on and we do national politics, local politics. Uh, the showdown is this Tuesday. Raphael Warnock, the Democrat, the incumbent, the senator versus Herschel Walker. Never quite seen a candidate quite like this. Uh, Herschel Walker, the MAGA man, and uh, he's Trump's guy in Georgia. Uh, Your thoughts on this election? Go ahead. Um, I think that race shows us how imperiled America is right now. Um, that you could that you could even have a runoff with those two gentlemen standing side by side. That's not about politics. That's about something else. And we, as a nation, again, the social contract. You should not have to lose, Ben, for me to win. I shouldn't believe it is a win if you lose. I should not be talking about this in terms of racehorses. This is the first generation since 1918 to see the the tremendous impact of a pandemic along with the economic system that's trying to figure it out along with you know the greatest amount of wealth being concentrated and what is it now the 0.01 percent um and then the multitude of the have-nots the many are suffering you know, over $5 for gas. You go to the grocery store, you can hardly, you know, leave there with more than two meals, and that's $250. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot for people right now. And so what we are going to have to do is talk about how white supremacy is um, rotting us in the core of us, and that's the manifestation, how um, paternalism and patriarchy um, are forcing a type of conversation that only gives certain people um, identity, voice, and power. Um, I am I am very concerned about our society. I am very concerned about the rollbacks we are experiencing from voting rights to reproductive rights. I am even more so concerned, though, about this idea that we are in any position to return to normal. I think this idea that normal is possible blinds people, 
Herschel Walker is standing next to um, Raphael Warnock and is running neck and neck. There is nothing that tells anyone that Herschel Walker would be a better representative in that space. Nothing. And yet he's there. What are what are voters saying to us in Georgia that they are also saying in Illinois and in Chicago when they don't go and vote? We're not listening to that. They are disaffected in Chicago. And I would like to say that that's only racism. And it is racism. But it's also a manipulation of racism to hide all of the um, impacts of the, 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 the economics. Racism is being used to say, look over there and don't look right here. We're gonna not, we don't just need organizers, we need people to help clarify and organize. We need people to help point out, amplify and organize. This is a long term, which is why when people talk about horse races, I think it ain't over once the election is over. It just gets started once the election yeah. is over. You got to live under that leadership in those policies, you know. And so when people make those statements, you know what I say about that? You're going to be OK economically, socially um, with anyone who wins because you have enough. So it can be a game to you. Yeah. Until it isn't. Uh, but I hear what you're saying. Uh, it is a scary time. And when you put it the way you did, the fact that 49, I think it was, or 48% in that first round, I forget what exactly what it was, voted for Herschel Walker is a frightening thought. It's uh, not frightening, but that's what's happening, Ben. Yeah. There's no return to normal. And the both isms of the GOP and the Democrats, as if dining with a white supremacist and a vowed white supremacist. And then you're going to say, I guess, you know, Trump was a liar. The Bidens wouldn't let us take pictures of the wedding, like a wedding and yeah. January 6th, you know, these false analogies, these false, you know, similarities, this, this way of saying, well, both of y'all wrong, you know, like the principal would do <laughs> when yeah. you have trouble as a student. No, both of us ain't wrong. No, the false equivalencies. Uh, the hell, that don't get me started. And you, you got to go to your school meeting because if we start talking about the false equivalencies that liberals put up to justify what, you know what I mean? I don't even know what they're justifying anymore, <laughs> Stacey. You know, it's like, we don't understand what's happening. Look, you know who understands what's happening? People who have always been on the periphery. Ask a black woman what's happening. And, 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 and grab a bottle of water and sit patiently, ask questions, and listen. This is chaotic because folks have lost their compass. We do not have leaders and policy that regard, center, and love on humanity. That's why it's important for the women that are members of the Chicago Teachers Union to say out loud first what they need, what they demand, and why they deserve it. Because if we wait on kingmakers to do it, we don't get reproductive rights. 
that is true. And you know what? You're going to have to fight for them anyway. Because that's what, that's what our Lord said. You can the machine is going to chew you, whether you quiet about it or whether you fight it. So the machine is, does what it does. What are you willing to do to disrupt that machine? That's what Audrey Lord said. Hold on, I'm going to take a picture of Stacy Davis Gates on my show, and it's been so long since she's been on it. <laughs> she's so busy all the time since she's become president. In the old days, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, when she was the vice president, Stacy, can you come on the show? Stacy, can you come on the show? Uh, but you really came through me uh, for me today, Stacy Davis Gates. Uh, only you and I n- really know. Uh, so thank you very much for taking the time. I know you've had a busy day and you got to run off to a meeting uh, real soon. Don't be a stranger. Win or lose in this next election. Uh, come back and talk about it, all right? Look, I am always available to talk. This is a labor union, and we're never going to be quiet. We're never going to wait our turn, because you don't get a turn when you wait for your turn if you're not a king maker. (laughs) Or if you're not the king being makered. Wait, does that even make sense? Hey, I understand it. Yes. Those who know, know. I appreciate you, though, Ben. Very good. That's great. Stacey Davis-Gates, ladies and gentlemen, otherwise known as SDG. Uh, and, uh, oh, wait, can I let you leave without a basketball question? Uh, real fast, my beloved Chicago Bulls, are you a believer or do you think, uh, the Bulls are going to fall apart for the rest of the season? Go. I'm always a believer. I'm a, I'm a sports fan in Chicago. You better be a believer. (laughs) I'm a believer too. Why not? What's the, what, what? What's the good of not being a believer? You know what I'm saying, Stacey? It's like, what's the point? You know, here, because here, I refuse to let um, Tucker Carlson represent Christianity. The guy that I serve, it says that every morning you get brand new mercies. You get brand new grace. And that is the hope that you start the day with. So the bulls are going to be okay. All right. I'm going to stay, uh, save a spot in Grant Park in July for Stacy Davis Gates to stand next to me when the Bulls have their championship. I'm putting this out right now. Or later in the summer when the sky does it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. A little disappointing. Uh, almost this year. Almost this year. All right, Stacy. I'll let you do your thing. Thank you very much. Appreciate you coming on the show. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Hey, take care. Thank you. That's great. Stacey Davis Gates, uh, dear friend of the show. Also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And as Stacey Davis Gates and Henry Davis will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D. <laughs> and the D stands for the marvelous. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody.